0: He's killing Chippy!
1: Welcome to another episode of the Wembley Wave podcast. Tonight, it's a goalkeeper special. Tom is your host with Nick and Wonder Kid Between the Sticks, Matthew Haig, for their best and worst of the week, a match spotlight preview of Leeds versus Liverpool, an EPL in England goalkeeper review, and then finally, the listeners' questions. there and welcome to series one episode 12 of the Wembley podcast Nick we're back
2: we're back Uh, we must apologize for last week we'll come on to that but um yeah we're back I'm excited I've had had a real taste of football in the last two weeks since we last spoke given that we've we're back playing and back training now as well which is even better so why did um, we uh
1: we miss a a week what what happened
2: well I'm not gonna blame any particular one person but um but, but I will blame one person um go on Unfortunately, our, our guest uh, couldn't make it and um, uh, flecked out at the last minute. So, um, keeping Jack. Hands- oh, no, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> As one of our avid listeners, Jack, we're uh, very disappointed, but um, I'm sure you'll make it out to us in the future.
1: Anyway, this week, goalkeeper expert Matthew Hagues with us. Matt, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well, lads. Thanks for having me. Oh.
1: The pleasure is ours. Uh, so um, Matt and Nick and myself, yeah, we've, we've uh, got a bit of history together. Played a uh, uh, m- well, more so Matt and Nick. Um, Sunday league football. Um, Nick in the centre midfield. Matt in goal. Uh, for Biliuki Colts. I mean, what, what, are they, what were they called at the time?
2: But yeah, Biliuki Town Colts. I think it was the, the youth team of Biliuki, wasn't it? Uh, I think yeah, we they're... we first met probably when we were about six or seven, didn't we, Matt? yeah Um,
0: yeah under under six he's trying to learn how to chest the ball from about 200 (laughs) meters in in the air
2: errol yeah our our coach he he was a bit of an old school and he used to throw the ball up really high as high as he could and then just go chest it and you'd have to get under it and chest the ball so most Uh, football league managers then yeah and everyone would like run like walk off after training like lifting their tops up comparing red marks so it was a
0: proper english football yeah. True story as well. That's, there's no, no, that is completely true.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember I joined for like, uh, two seasons, but only half a season in each. And I think i picked up a trophy in between, so yeah, productive little, uh, twilight of my career.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> tro- trophies, uh, trophies are our thing, weren't they, Hagi? We've got a, a quite, quite a good record when we were younger. So yeah, I was part of Perry yeah. at
1: the time and we weren't so lucky. Got my big money move, got the trophy and then retired. So, Harry Kane. Tom, you, I remember
0: yeah. you were a good addition to that, in that centre of defence for for a, for a year or two, wasn't it? I remember yeah. it well. Ben
1: Mason, I think, as well, in there. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. No, it was good fun. It really was good fun. I broke my wrist at the time and that that, that, that was a, a blight on the season, but uh, no, nah, good memories, good memories. Onwards with the pod. Of course, uh, as we always do, let's start off our best and worst of the week. Nick? Oh, no, we're going to start off Matt. Uh, is that right? Yeah, is that what you want? Let's do that. Matt, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. It's the first time our guest has um, began the best and worst of the week. Uh, Matt, what's your best of the week?
0: Well, with me coming in on the pod, it would be rude of me not to say the best of the week is West Ham's performance yet again. And the reason I'm going to call that our best performance is because I don't think it gets the credit it deserves because of the injuries that we've got at the moment. So obviously playing Leicester was a, a huge game for both teams, but with the news of Antonio being potentially ruled out for the season and then Rice as well being ruled out for you a know, minimum of four weeks. I thought personally, I thought it was going to be a tough game, a really tough game for us to get a result. And I was expecting the worst and hoping the teams around us might drop some points. And then you know, the added pressure of Liverpool getting a result, Chelsea getting a really strong result and a strong performance uh, for me, just to, you know, take that forward and, and get a three, two win. And, uh, give me a bit of a heart attack in the process. I'm just about recovering from that now. Um, yeah. I thought it was a, a really gritty and, and really important win, particularly with not only them two I mentioned, but the likes of Bonner, who's been a rock for us, um, who, who was also missing. Cresswell went off injured. Nova went off injured. Um, I just thought it was a really impressive win, albeit a, a nerve wracking one. So that was my best of the week.
2: Yeah. we'll agree. I'll just add in on that, that, uh... Yeah, I completely agree, to be fair. In terms of in- injuries, you would never would have thought you'd turn out that performance. Uh, I think as a Leicester fan, um, you would be fuming with uh, Chowdhury, Mad- Madison yes. and Perez. Yeah. Because it seems like what they've done is broken um, COVID lockdown rules. Do we know and- what they've done?
1: we don't know
2: exactly no not, not sure exactly um some sort of but, sex
1: party
2: yeah, yeah. Tom, you're not
1: far off man. really I think <laughs> the, yeah, the news
0: that's the news that's come out today is that yeah exactly that it was sort of house parties with 18 guests all of them all of them women um no surprises there and they they actually turned the lights off and hid from brendan and rogers uh, <laughs> when they come up and checked and then they took the party to to chowdhury's house after so
2: and then brendan Rodgers joined them at that point <laughs> that's like right. that's like old school fergie isn't it you like you yeah. get wind of it and turn up at the house party and chuck them all out christ that's that's yeah that is bad isn't it brendan was just
1: annoyed he wasn't invited though you know what he's yeah. like he's a bit brent
2: yeah. isn't he yeah deluded brendan yeah no i think as a lesser fan you'd be fuming with those players because he obviously had no choice but to drop them and um perez caused a lot of Issues for opposition teams. His movement's very good and he's, he's a bit, he's sort of tricky to pin down, I think. And then Madison, obviously, we know his qualities. He might not have started because he's only come back from injury um, recently, but yeah, that, I think that would have added a bit more quality for them. Um, but not taken away from West Ham's performance, uh, another great win.
1: Yeah. And Nick, what's your best of the week? My
2: well, best um, is is twofold. Uh, uh, it's, it's two, two forty five minute performances, actually. Um, the first is Chelsea's first half against Crystal Palace at the weekend. And yeah, like Palace is a team that Chelsea should be beating, especially if you want to get top four. Um, Palace didn't play particularly well, but it, it's the best I've seen us play for some time. The The intensity which we played at was ridiculous. We won the ball back so high up every single time. I mean, I think the possession stats in the first half were in the 70s, which is ridiculous. Um, but it really was a, just a a complete performance. Um, Havertz and Pudicic and Mount playing in the front three positions all, all interchanging um, and yeah, uh, the fluidity of those front three was, was was brilliant. I actually think it's no coincidence that Werner wasn't on the pitch and we produced probably our best performance uh, so far. All the players on the pitch are capable of, of playing football at a fast pace and a fluid pace and, and Werner isn't at the moment so I wouldn't surprise me if we see that Especially against the sort of deeper, more defensive teams, more often. Um, mm. So yeah, that that first half forms, and then and then Man United in the second half uh, yesterday on on Sunday against Spurs. I thought the first half was was fairly even, um, and uh, people can have a go at Spurs and maybe the defensive mindset of sitting off. But I I thought that was all caused by Man United. They played at such a high tempo. They passed the ball so quickly. It's the best I've seen Man United play under Solskjaer, by far. I thought that. I thought usually i I'm not a massive fan of cyberguard I think United are um, obviously a league position doesn't lie, but I do think they've sort of dug themselves out of a hole with sort of individual quality at times rather mm-hmm. than sort of a systematic approach um, and, yeah. and being a good team but yesterday I thought they were um, very very good and if they carry on playing like that they'll they'll be up there next season i think um,
1: I think you could extend that um, principle throughout the whole club really It's kind of a poorly run club but because they've got a bit of money they just're mm. they're, they're buying these superstars in and it's getting letting, yeah the club as an administration off the hook isn't it as a whole yeah but, uh, I like you so. say the uh, that was a good performance from from mm-hmm. the side uh, how much was that uh, thanks to, to to Spurs and well, Jose's approach um, maybe we never know but it, it seems to be overrun by a lot of teams mm. <laughs> quite it's quite it's quite average sides as well especially in that second half and so uh, yeah you, there's a pattern there as well from a Spurs perspective
2: yeah same coach different players isn't it so
1: nice quote. <laughs> There. Uh, Matt, your worst
2: of the week. Yeah, I'm I, I'm
0: not going to call it VAR in general. I'm going to choose one decision, and it was that McTominay decision. I absolutely hated it. Um, playing football week in, week out, playing football all of our lives, we all know the motion of running, and uh, I just thought it was a disgraceful decision, really. And I thought it was actually a really good opportunity for the, for the VAR and the ref just to say, yeah, we've looked at it and make a stance at that, that that's not acceptable and instead I think they took the easy route out by um, you know, saying there is contact, it was whatever they call it, excessive force or whatever you want to um, label that as but to disallow that I didn't like and I equally didn't like Son's reaction I think he's a fantastic player, love him as a player watching him but you know, made me laugh. He's, uh, he's just come back from military service and I think he got like some of the top <laughs> marks in military did, yeah. service like for being one of the best cadets, best Army soldiers in there and I'm thinking, how on earth can you do that and then lie on the ground for three minutes after having a poking face but yeah, that by far was, for me, one of the worst VAR decisions um, because it just brings the the game into distribute for me and that's not how we all know football is played so yeah i hated
2: that one if i'm honest i to be fair um there's going to be that and, and some other um decisions on on my worst of the week so I might as well chip in at this point um
1: yeah, i will leave don't worry about it well,
2: <laughs> uh I, I completely agree and i think the reason i i agree with that is because um for two reasons one the mindset around football and and, and v a r and disallowing goals seems to have changed it seems to have moved from a from a Unless there's anything exceptional and clear here to rule out this goal, then the rule mm. the goal is going to stand. And it's moved to a system whereby they're sort of checking everything the whole way through the passage of play to what can we possibly find to rule out a goal? And I just yeah. think in general, that's just a, a stupid way of, of using VAR. and not You've got how, to turn on, on its head, head really. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. and everyone says that that's how, that was how it was meant to be implemented. It was it was to cut out massive errors. And clearly that wasn't a massive error. I mean, you. You could argue that sometimes a ref might give a foul for that sort of thing, right? You see it. I mean, you, Lamella got yeah, sent off.
1: Lamella got sent off in the North London Derby for the same thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. I do think I do think it's not. It's not. I'm not going to sit here and say it's never ever a foul. I just think when you're looking back at that, considering it happened two or three times already in that game in the first half before the incident, and none of them were a foul, the same incident, um, I just think that they are looking for excuses to disallow goals. It just seems weird. I mean, yeah, right. I actually think that's the. Um, I think if I'm right I think this is the f- the first um disallowed goal due to a foul outside of the area in the build-up play. Sure. So I think the two the other the other two that've been disallowed this season one was a foul on the goalkeeper and one was a foul on not like, the, the center back as a, as you, as a jump for a header or something. So they were like directly involved in the goal whereas that was quite far out considering that they still that's to play forward and score. Um I just, I can't see the the logic behind behind giving that as a as a as a foul. Yeah, so. I think the
0: pressure got to them though. If you look at the amount of players that were around the mm-hmm. the ref part, and to be fair, I'd do the same if I was Tottenham players. I don't blame mm-hmm. them for doing it. Yeah, it's just yeah, you need the you need the refs to be a bit stronger, really. And and the and the VAR. I, but I think the problem is it's from the top. It's you know the the for the Premier League that the guy at the top is Mike Riley, isn't it? I believe mm-hmm. um, who yeah. wasn't the most fantastic ref <laughs> back in the day. And I, Says I just don't, don't have trust in him personally, but yeah, I, I agree. Nick, it was just a, a bad one. But Tom, you make a good point because yeah, you're right. Lamella got sent off to something similar. And and, and I, I kind of tend to agree. If you're given a foul live, you go, cop it's soft. Why is he given that? Let's mm-hmm. bring it back, which is too much for me. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I think, um, it's not the technology's fault. It's the application of the technology. Everyone always says, yeah. and also, I mean, a lot of people say we just want consistency. We well, know what you guys are saying is we want to turn it on its head, change the principle behind VAR, and yeah, make it something that, as you say, quashes major mistakes, not fucking um, trying to find a needle in a haystack in order to yeah. disallow goals. Right? Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I can't. I don't think everyone, everyone would would agree with that. Um, yeah i'll have to send this to the pl once once it's live anyway that was your best and worst of the week next we um that's us looking backwards now we're gonna look forwards um with our match spotlight um this week i think because of their performance against city the win against city the champions we're gonna go with leeds versus liverpool um nick why did we why did you choose this one
2: yeah as you said leeds a very impressive game uh the weekend against against man city obviously winning with 10 men for for quite some time in the game as well um interestingly i i thought um obviously it was forced i guess with 10 men but Leeds changed their approach somewhat and and when they went down to 10 men i thought oh here we go they're mm. gonna they're gonna carry on playing as they normally do and because they've got 10 against the probably the best team in, in europe at the moment um they're gonna get absolutely wiped out by city but actually they they sat behind the ball they kept compact they didn't really give city many clear-cut chances um and then they caught them on the break and and I, i've had a chat with a couple of Leeds fans since and and they disagreed with me massively and I can understand why but I I did say to them it does beg the question as to whether they could have sort of followed that sort of approach in some of the other big games they've done okay in the big games I think they drew with Man City earlier on this season but they have been they have been beaten quite convincingly by quite a few of the the, the teams up the top of the table yeah Um, I just yeah I just I just think maybe at times they could have sat in a little bit deeper been a bit more um, structured and rigid, and then court teams on the break because they've got fantastic energy on the break. We Excuse my parents I didn't watch the
1: game, but ha- maybe did they not change the way they played because of the sending off? Um... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, right. that's what okay. that's what Bielsa said. I think right.
2: Bielsa actually came out afterwards and said the performance today was absolutely nothing to do with me because we've never worked on a situation where that where we've done this before. We've never we've been, we've never even tried doing this in training. Right. Yeah. So so you have to th- you have to congratulate the players and not me. So. It, it was it was completely forced by the sending off, but it just makes makes me think could they have done that in some other games a little bit more um and had some better results but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean we've said it before of Leeds you can't you can't have too much of a go. They're gonna they're gonna survive. No, exactly. They've been very entertaining in doing that.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so they got they got Liverpool and obviously Liverpool look a little bit more back on track now. Um I would actually say that they're they're uh, I mean, I'm going to put my neck out. I think they would finish in top four, Liverpool. Um, I, I just, I think with the quality they have, I can't see them not winning quite a lot of games and their running isn't bad as well, to be fair. so Is that
1: at the expense of Chelsea or is Leicester
2: dropping out? I, I think there could be... always we, West
1: Ham, of course,
2: in there as well. Yeah, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think now, I think there's, uh, there's two places up for grabs. Uh, sure. And I think that... Put your neck on the line, come on. I think it's between three teams. Personally, which is West Ham, Chelsea, and Liverpool. Um, okay, who's going to get it? Uh... Oh. I don't know. I'll put my neck on that. I don't think Here West Ham will. I don't think West
0: Ham will do it. I think we'll finish fifth, and I'd be very, very happy with that. Sure. Um, yeah. I-, I just think these injuries will catch up with us a little bit, um, if I'm being brutally honest. And I think you know these fixtures look great on paper for the likes of West Ham and Liverpool, but as this season has proven, to, uh, well, this league proves time and time again, you cannot look at fixtures. And actually, that's a mistake that we all make. And we all think the running looks good. Where actually, if you're if you're a Liverpool or you're a Leicester and you're playing someone in amongst you um, that looks hard on paper, i.e. a Chelsea, an Edison, arguably that's going to make more of an impact if you win that. And I uh, just think that the fixtures can give a false sense of security for certain teams so especially you know, when they're fighting for their lives as well the the, yeah, at the bottom right yeah e- exactly and that well, was my uh, going back to the match spotlight on on Leeds and Liverpool normally I look at the running I think who's not got anything to play for and Leeds would arguably fall into that category you know middle of the table but with someone like Bielsa in charge and the mentality yeah. they've got they're not gonna let up so I actually think it's a really, really tough game for Liverpool. And this is the one that I am looking at them fixtures, despite what I just said, for Liverpool. And I'm thinking this is the one they have to drop points on because I think there are other games where they will just, they've got too much quality, right. as, as Nick said. But I think this will be a really difficult game for them. Leeds will be up, they'll be confident. And um, yeah, and I think Liverpool's defence, as we all know, is... Very suspect with their two centre backs at the moment. I don't have much faith at all in them two. So uh, I think it'll be a really important, actually a really important game for the top four and the pivotal one. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna be- they're my second team leads
2: as well. So I'll be rooting for them.
1: <laughs> On that then, Nick, what's your prediction for the match?
2: Um, I've said this before, and Leeds always do the opposite of whatever I predict. Um, I I think Liverpool will win this game, and the reason I say that is because. Um, or it hasn't happened last weekend against City, but whenever Leeds seem to come up against sort of a, a, a top team, the top team seems to have enough quality to to beat them and catch them worked. out while as they play yeah. it out at the back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they turn it into a bit of a, well. In the past, they've turned to get these games into a bit of a basketball game, and it's all sort of you, you shoot, we shoot, and then and the teams who are clinical enough and and have the yeah. quality of of, of of that's better than Leeds, I suppose, and better than their players will outscore them on the law of averages. So I mm. think it will fall into that bucket. And I, I do think that Liverpool um, will will win. Um Although, interestingly, they've got obviously a tough game against Real Madrid in the Champions League this week. And we know that if you play Leeds and you don't outrun Leeds, they'll usually beat you because that's what they're very, very good at. So it'll be interesting to see if the same players play against Real Madrid, against Leeds, and, and whether they can cope with Leeds' running, I suppose.
1: Well, he rested Mane for the majority of the match, didn't he? Um at Anfield mm. recently and so you know he's not as if he's given up on the Champions League tie. so yeah there will be no. uh, some tired legs against yeah. Leeds I want a score from you Nick as always uh
2: I'll I'll go with um 2-1 to Liverpool
0: and Matt I'm going 2-1 Leeds there Ooh. you go do you, do you want my justification or just please score?
1: no please go for it
0: uh, I think um I think their attack will be uh quite dangerous against Liverpool's poor defence um mm. I think actually, even though Cooper's out injured, they've got that. Co- uh, I can't pronounce his name. Is it cock or conch? I never know. No, yeah, yeah, one of the two. Think, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll take cock. That'll I do. It come, yeah. um, but he's um, actually great. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not sure about old Lorente at the back, but he seems to be adapting a little bit more to to English football. So I think that might be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, and I just fancy them within, in at uh, the back of the, the European game for mm-hmm. Liverpool. I think they'll they'll want to continue there, you know, to prove that they can compete with the big boys. So mm. they're going to go two one leads.
2: Yeah, that's true. I, I just thinking about that that channel in between Nat Phillips and Trent and and Bielsen might because he's he's played Rafinha on both sides, isn't he? He might he might put him on the left and try and terrorise that channel in between them. It seems seems so suspective like.
0: late. Yeah, see, I genuinely believe he could be a world class player, Rafinha. Mm. I really like the look of him. I mm. think he could go to a to a the top team and not look out of place at yeah. all. I Really like him.
1: There you have it. That's this week's Match Spotlight. Um, And now as for our special feature uh, of the episode, as I said, Matt is a goalkeeper. And uh, this is Matt's goalkeeper review. Um, Nick, we have a couple of questions for Matt.
2: Yeah, before we get into that, I'm just going to say that... um... Matt, we've been modest so far with Matt's ability because we've talked about Billericay Town. We did. Um, um, Billericay Town Colts. But Matt, you, you um, had some experience in Billericay Town first team, but also had experience at some some other uh, academies as well, right? Oh, my apologies. It- I've
0: undersold
1: you, Matt.
2: Yeah, but everyone's got a story about how they had trials at XY and
0: Know. So uh, I fucking I fucking so, <laughs> <laughs> Take it with a pinch of salt. But no, when I was, I think when I was uh, my background story for goalkeeping was I had an older brother and we had a Samber goal that we all did when we were younger, best Christmas present I ever had. Yes. And uh, being a younger brother got pushed in goal and you know, weren't allowed out to shoot, and that's how I started going in goal. And Nick will remember. Uh, you know, his dad was in charge with with um uh, with Dave Atkinson, the legend, at the time. Yeah. And uh, got got not I weren't the best on pitch at the time, but we had a we had a, a bit of a suspect keeper, Butterfly Jack. He was called, nicknamed by the parents because he he couldn't catch a thing. Tom, this Don't is really Jack, Karnett, By the
2: way. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, he played in goal <laughs> us when we were like seven
1: he's not, not
0: even into football now
1: uh,
2: no. yeah, a bit
0: a bit harsh on the parents saying how rubbish he was at seven years old but anyway i got uh fur- <laughs> got, um, got pushed into the uh the firing line and uh yeah i had a, had a game a half after he, he had a, a bit of a nightmare and then never looked back since and then yeah. yeah then did all right and uh played for chelsea in two spells um was close to signing to them and then they got taken over by roman Abramovich and uh then they they cast their net a little bit wider, more, more worldwide than local, sure. which was which was gutting because I, I remember didn't know that. I, yeah, it was it was I, Matt High or Thibaut Courtois. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> jokes aside, they were um when I first went there, it was they shared a training pitch with uh, Fulham at Cobham, and it was a little almost like a cricketer's um kind oh, of like pavilion, you know, for the yeah. for the changing rooms, really old school right. before the money was there. And then I went back three years later when I was invited back when I was like 16, 17. And it turned out it's like fingerprint scanners, you know, drunk Terry's cars in the thing, Joe Johnson's son playing with us in this in this bubble, it was a different world. But um yeah, it just didn't quite work out then. And then got another break to Palace. And uh I was stupid playing cricket and football at the same time, and then was playing cricket in the nets and rushed my cruise and then it never really worked out. And then yeah, never got back to it. Went to uni and took a different route. But um, yeah, so that's that's a bit of the history around goalkeeping for me. But uh, yeah, hopefully I can give you my opinion on on a few things in the current world because it's moved on since when I was taking it more seriously.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for that. I didn't I didn't know that some of those things. Uh, quite a, quite a story. So not only goalkeeper expert, genuine, you know, uh, wonder kid with with injury problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well,
2: Hague, he was an absolute cat for us on a Sunday, so yeah. uh, if we were leaking it back, it would always rely on, on Hagee to save us.
1: There you go. Uh, what a segue then into the goalkeeper review. Indeed. Nick, take so on away. that
2: note, um, we'll go. We'll start with um, reviewing Premier League goalkeepers. Uh, yeah. And um, I said to you beforehand, think about your top three or five uh, best and worst goalkeepers in the Premier League. So I don't know if you've done three or five, but let, let's go with, uh, let's do start with the worst? That'd be a bit of a laugh. Yeah, bit.
0: I've kind of mixed it up because I think, you know, the, the reason I've mixed it up, I've done top three worst and top five best. And the reason yeah. is because I actually think the standard of goalkeeping in the Premier League has gone up considerably mm-hmm. more recently. Um, I can think of more, you know, previous seasons where you could really you know, call some clangers out if we went back a couple of seasons with West Ham. I know it was third choice, but Roberto, <laughs> old poor old David <laughs> Martin. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more that you can think about that have, have had a tough time. You know, Kefpar at Chelsea, Joe Hart was having a bad <laughs> bad time. So I, I actually think the standard of goalkeeping, particularly this season, is, is, is quite good. Um, so if I start with my, my worst, my, there's one surprise in here that I don't think many of you would have thought I'd put on there. Um, because my, my bugbear with goalkeepers is you've got to play for a good team to be classed as a good goalkeeper. And I don't think that should be the case. So mm. I'll start my, my my worst three is, um, first of all, is Ramsdale, unfortunately. And I thought he might have been a good signing for Shepherd United at the back of the Bournemouth um, season he had. But mm. I think that just masks how bad they were defensively and how many saves he made compared to like what he is actually as a goalkeeper. Yeah. I think he's quite quite rash with his decision-making. He's not great handling. He pushes a lot out back into play. He goes down quite a lot quite easily and gets, um, you know, gets gets chipped or lifted the ball over him quite easily. And I think that's a big difference between like the likes of Henderson. If you saw how good Sheffield United were last year compared to this year, I do genuinely believe a goalkeeper can make a huge amount of difference. Yeah. And uh, I think that showed up a little bit this year. So for me, I don't think he's a, a terrible goalkeeper, but, if you're looking at the others in the league, I'd have a lot more over over him. Mm. Mm. My next one is the is the the surprising one. So Tom, close your ears here because it's it's Hugo Lloris. Now, World Cup winning uh, captain Hugo Lloris. again, again. I'm going to caveat <laughs> it because he has been a great goalkeeper, okay, uh, and a good goal. He's a great leader, but for me, fundamentally, I remember when he first came to the Premier League, he used to rush out, yeah. rush out as a sweeper-keeper, and there was a amount of times that good strikers just dinked the ball over him and lifted him, uh, lifted the ball over him to to score. And it never got the attention it deserved, in my opinion. Everyone was like, oh, he's a great keeper because of his distribution, but he's great. To be fair, he's handling his brilliant as well from crosses. He's not very flappy. He's actually really good at coming and collecting the ball. Mm. Um, Typically, a keeper of his style isn't necessarily as good as that. But for me, I think... Tottenham need a change of guard there. Um, I know that won't go down very well with some viewers, but yeah. when you look at the art of goalkeeping, I, I do genuinely believe that at the moment, there are better performing goalkeepers than him, and he makes a lot of mistakes that go unnoticed in my opinion.
1: Yeah, he loves a clanger in a big game as well. Um, yeah. I would say he's still a good shot stopper. Um, he's got yeah. show that, um, but with age, yeah, mobility and your decision making as well distribution has never been great uh, ever but it's been it has been masked in certain sides uh, this one actually because Jose doesn't yeah. demand him to try and distribute the ball with any skill um so yeah I, I I don't disagree I think um we've got bigger problems but if we like I think we should be investing in goalkeepers um as a club anyway mm-hmm. and whether that's for the next year probably not because as I say yeah we, we've got other problems probably in defense
0: um, but, yeah, yeah I, I, I I agree. It is high. It is harsh on him because he, he has done a, he a has lot of good, good things yeah. in his career. And I, I do want to caveat that. It's just a lot of the top goalkeepers at top um, clubs get away with it. And I just wanted to make that point, really. Yeah, um, I, I
2: know you mean. I, I, I watched him play and, like, I mean, even yesterday against United, he made a cracking save with his left hand uh, against Fernandes, I think, the left-footed shot. Uh, bottom left. Oh, yeah, I was a, that was low, a great yeah, save. A really good save. Yeah, and a he, a, make, he makes really some saves time. and I think, God, no one, not many other Premier League keepers are saving that. And then just the next game, like you said, it'd just be a mistake. And I, just, I think in the past it's been maybe one, one mistake every, I don't know, like fifteen games, and he makes the really good saves regularly. And I think that's slowly, slowly shifted to be okay. He makes a good save every now and then, but there's maybe a few too many mistakes that are creeping in for him to warrant being a bigger top top keeper. But I, as you said, he's been he's been very good in the past. Yeah. He, yeah, won the World, he won
1: the World wise. Cup, got done for drink driving, and he's, he look, he's looked different since. Genuinely, maybe he's still <laughs> drunk. You know what I mean? Um, you, can, you can never know.
0: So then I got one more for my worst, and uh, it was a toss up between, um, I've tried to keep it to first team keepers as well, not second choice. So yeah, it's a bit debatable because Alex McCarthy's come in and out of the team for mm. Southampton. Um, I know the score at the moment actually, I think they're losing Southampton 2-0 and Fraser Forster's in goal. But Alex McCarthy, again, these aren't bad keepers. But if you're looking at the standard in the league, I think he makes a a couple of mistakes. And I think he's got that position by default with second choice. And then he's worked his way in. Then he overtook Fraser Forster. Now Fraser Forster's coming back in. Um, He doesn't fill me with confidence. Again, a good shot stopper, but not a lot else. Distribution is poor, in my opinion. Handling is not amazing, but it's a good shot stopper. But every goalkeeper in the Premier League should be a good shot stopper, you know. That's one thing that, that quite bugs bugs me about goalkeeping. You know, if you're not a good shot stopper, you shouldn't be um, in that in that league, really, should you? So hard. Um, yeah, yeah. Or uh, or Carl Darlow's my other one, but he's and he's just lost his place in the Newcastle yeah. team. And I actually agree with that. A lot of Newcastle fans are going crazy at that decision, saying that Debra, um De, I can't pronounce him. Is it Debravnik?
2: Debravka. Dubrav-
0: um, Dubravka, that's it, yeah. that's the one. No, not a Croatian des- destination of some sort <laughs> I'm trying to describe. Yeah, but, hey, he's off uh, Yeah. On, <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a really good keeper, actually, at Newcastle, uh, Dubravka. And um, nice. I think, I think Darlow was a bit rash in some of his decision-making as well. Pulled off the odd worldie. But I've watched him consistently over a couple of seasons when other keepers have got injured, and thought, "Wow, he is a rash goalkeeper," mm-hmm. uh, and he wouldn't fill me with with, with confidence. So, yeah, there, then I'm going to say I'm going to say Darlow on that basis. So to clarify, Ramsdale, Darlow, and Lloris are my three worst at the present moment in time. Interesting, interesting.
2: Uh, let's go with uh, your five best starting in reverse order. So your your fifth, if you've got okay.
0: Any. This is hard to put them in order. And what you've got to think about is when you're assessing the, the complete goalkeeper now, because I have a bias to the more traditional goalkeeper, because I'm not very good with my feet myself. And that was always something that I would, have put, would have held me back. So I love the throwback keepers, the likes of Czech, I like Nick Pope as a keeper at the moment, but they haven't got the distribution abilities of others. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to base this on a couple of different factors that are important to goalkeeping. Handling, positioning, shot stopping, caveat that I hate that word. Um, communication, which is often, you know, not, not looked at as a goalkeeper, really important, and distribution, which has obviously evolved the goalkeeping game more recently. Mm-hmm. So taking all of them into consideration is why I've got to this top five. And the likes of Nick Pope aren't in there because unfortunately, he's proven in in the England games recently, he does it, he can't do that he can't do that part of the game with his feet and I think that is going to stop him from being a top top goalkeeper because he's got everything else in abundance but he hasn't got the distribution aspect so I I won't do it in any particular order I don't think Um, but my top five um, I'll start off with with the one that springs to mind which is Allison Mm -hmm. and I know he's had a really tough time actually recently and I think that's to do with a lot of things going on personally in his life as well that's pr- been pretty difficult in and out with injuries and it's hard as a goalkeeper to get back into the rhythm of things but he's got all of them attributes in abundance and actually the bit I really like about, about him is how he holds the ball so he makes hard saves quite easy and, and you wouldn't notice what he's done because he's got in a great position with his feet but then he's handling of the ball doesn't try and parry it back out and actually uh, catches a lot that comes at, it, comes at him so mm. Yeah, I,
2: I, I like Allison
0: for, for them reasons. He's got experience. He seems to be a leader. His distribution's immaculate. Um, so he ticks a lot of boxes.
2: You can't you can't win major trophies without a very good keeper. And since he's come in, no. they've won the Champions League and the Premier League. So I th- yeah, I think that's... so true. Yeah, it's often it.
0: under it is often overlooked. I think the importance of a goalkeeper. I know you use that Sheffield United example, and that's a relegation example. And there are other factors to that because they were overachieving last year, but. Yeah, um, you're right. That's, you know, that quote from Jose Mourinho back in the day, wasn't it? That Peter Check saves him 14 points a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I completely agree with that statement. And I'll, I'll give you another example of that later on um, in the discussion. But moving on, the other one, an obvious one, I'll get rid of the obvious ones at the moment, is Edison. I do like him. He's proven... I thought he might be a bit calamitous and have a few errors but he's actually cut out of his game i think um yeah. more recently and his distribution is just unbelievable best in the world as we all know yeah. with the, the ability to make assists and
1: well, he's better uh, than sissoko in cinnamon midfield. <laughs> like, i can guarantee it
0: it's actually uh, incredible when you assess what he actually does and the 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 accuracy he he gets with his his passing is honestly world class, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know that. But I think to also be a good keeper under the bonnet as well yeah. is is quite an attribute to have, particularly if you want to be at the elite teams. You know, there's not many keepers that could play in Man City's team. You just look at Claudio Bravo. It was yeah, just about to mention him. you know, arguably successful at Barcelona and one of the worst keepers I've ever seen in the yeah. league. Um, uh, when he, he was didn't save the shot
2: for like the first like no.
0: 10 games, did he? <laughs> no, I, I hated his technique, I hated the way he approached the,
2: you know his positioning. He made the goal um, look so big, yeah. yeah like yeah. his positioning was so bad. There's like, I remember how like Chelsea played him, and William was one and one. You just think you, you can't miss this, like, he's he's no, the goalkeeper's not, not even there.
0: And you saw the defence just lost all um mm. confidence in him and that, and that's the, the big thing. If you lose confidence from uh, your goalkeeper, it runs through the team as well. Mm. People start panicking. And uh yeah, so he's a massive upgrade and he's really, really impressed me with his ability as a goalkeeper, not only his ability as a, a footballer more gen- you know, generally with his distribution, but I think his handling, his positioning, he's a good shot stopper, seems to communicate well. So yeah, I, I, I like him a lot. Um So they're my top two. And then third on my list at the moment is Schmeichel. I think, again, he's he's actually underrated because of probably the history of his dad. He's a better goalkeeper than his dad in modern terms because of what he can do with the ball at his feet. If you watch Mm. how Leicester play, they play um, quite a progressive game. They play from the back. And Schmeichel very rarely mucks up from that. Um, I can't think of too many mistakes he's made from distributing the ball. And they are... Yeah, them diagonals that you do to your, your wing backs in that system, mm. he's pretty good at. And mm. he's also an unbelievable keeper. An mm. unbelievable keeper. Um and he's done that consistently in the league. He's won a, a title with with Leicester to your point, Nick. You can't mm. can't do it without a good keeper. And I'm surprised he never got a bigger move, but I suppose yeah. Leicester have grown in a in a way that it probably is a good fit um for yeah. him anyway. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I really like Schmeichel and doesn't always get the accolades he deserves. Um so he he's another one in terms of my way well, yeah. one of the top three.
2: Yeah, I'd go with that. I, I think he's he's like you said doesn't doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. I think he's right up there with the top Premier League keepers now. I don't think he was maybe sort of four five six years ago. I think he's got better and better as the years gone on, and uh, now I think he's he's one of the top top goalkeepers.
0: Yeah, I love how hard like when you see some of his saves, his his hand is so strong.
2: Strong, yeah. Um,
0: and, and he just, yeah, he managed to get them over the bar or pushes it out for a corner, not back mm-hmm. into play. Yeah. And the position of your wrists, even how you d- deflect the ball is really important. And I think he does all of that really well. Uh, really well, sorry. Um, and then my other two, uh, and I think that you've got to do a top five because one of them, when you look at the age of him and you look at him as a complete goalkeeper, yes, he's made mistakes this season, but I love him, is Meslier, mm-hmm. or Meslier, however you pronounce it, uh, for Leeds. 21 years of age, um, he's quite slight in build, but I actually think yes, he needs to get better at demanding crosses. That's his weak point. Um, he's not good at c- c- coming out and demanding the ball and 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 demand you know, and dominating that six-yard box. But his distribution is really really good, and some of the saves he has made this year mm. are, are world class in my opinion. And mm. I've seen links with PSG. I've seen links with Real Madrid and others looking after, looking at him and sniffing about him, and it, it doesn't surprise me at all. I really like him, and I think he'll, in five six years' time, he'll be a top top keeper um, in world football. So he takes a lot. Of, yeah, he takes a lot of them boxes. I don't know if people agree, or might you might see a a mistake from him and think, oh God, is he is he taking that, uh, too many risks there? But as a twenty-one-year-old playing in a team like that, I think he's done exceptionally well.
2: Yeah, I think he'll yeah. only get better. You got to remember as well; they have a lot of shots faced against them, which sometimes yeah. is easier to keep because you are always on your toes. But but he's got a lot to do, and he has made he has made a few mistakes from distribution mainly. Um, yeah. But I think that's that's because he's he's asked to play in a certain way. He's very young. Um, goalkeepers often don't don't peak until at least late late twenties. So he's still got, like you said, six seven years until he even gets to that point. So yeah, I, yeah, you're I, I right. Honestly,
0: use. there's there's academy prospects that you don't see play in goal until they're post 25. Yeah. Honestly, it, yeah. it's very rare to have such a young keeper yeah. in, in the stick. So, funny, funny yeah. enough, we had,
2: a, um, we had a guest on a few weeks ago, Orlando, who was and he's like a, a youth football enthusiast, as he called himself, mm. and uh, and we asked him for um players. Sort of, we said under 21 players for England who. who um, who he thinks will play for England in the future, and one of the players uh, who he came up with was a guy called Nathan Baxter, who who's on loan from Chelsea at um, Aquitaine Stanley, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's played, he's played for Met Police, Solihull Moors, uh, I think Yeovil. He's he's had about six to seven different loans. A lot of them to non-league clubs. He's 22 years old, but he's played like more senior minutes than Dean Henderson, um, and uh, down all these keepers. And and we were saying like it's, it's with keepers they don't tend to get that enough experience and enough, enough exposure to senior football at a young age so they don't tend to peak till they're sort of 25 26 yeah. um i mean i, I can't remember the last time dean henderson's won but like a, a really young keeper comes out of an academy in the premier league and you think oh he's going to be england's keeper you sort of you don't know you don't really see it too often do you
0: no you don't No, very very rare you need that experience but then equally the keepers are it's a weird position because you need a homegrown quota a lot of the keepers hmm. are then you know bought in to fill that, and <laughs> and you end up being like you know a good young academy keeper ends up being third or fourth yeah. choice, no chance of ever playing because or you've got
2: a, they signed Stuart Taylor, <laughs> who's been who is their goalkeeper for about ten years and never played once.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then and then yeah, you push down uh, the yeah. pecking order, but I, re- I yeah, just he's the my one to watch if you like. In in sort of five yeah. years time, I think he could be a a top top keeper. And I couldn't not do my top five without. Martinez, who is a bit of a a throwback keeper, but Mm. I actually think he's quite good with his feet as well. Um, More than people give him credit for again, and I think Arteta made the wrong call in my opinion. Uh, We have a bit of a running joke in our football team, don't we Nick, about Leno and Martinez, and I'm a bit harsh on Leno, um, but I don't rate Leno
2: as a top, top keeper. I think he was going to be worst three, mate. (laughs) No, because he's
0: not a bad keeper, but he's not good enough for Arsenal if he was playing for Brighton, like Roger Sanchez, another one who's, is, I don't know if he's, Roger as his first name, but Sanchez, <laughs> who's, who's just, um, who's just come into the Brighton team. If you look at him, you know, he's got everything that Leno's got and arguably a bit more in my opinion. He could be another really good keeper in the Premier League, who's come out of nowhere if Leno was playing for Brighton, no one would be talking about Leno as a keeper for mm. uh, a top six club um, in the old terms of, of if Arsenal were competing. So I he's a good keeper, but he doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence compared to some others in the league. And I would have chose Martinez over um, Leno if I was Arteta. And uh, I think he's proven how important he is for, for for villa this year, um so yeah, and it, every keeper's going to make mistakes, every keeper it's, it's how you bounce back from it and how you get it out of your head um and that will probably lead us nicely on to the England discussion because that's one of um one of my concerns with a young Jordan Pickford, but we'll get on to that
1: well, I think we get on to next you you mentioned England, uh please yeah, take us talk us about the uh the England pool of goalkeepers uh, your views on them
0: yeah, it's a tough one because you've got to understand. England's philosophy, right? And I, I admit, I wasn't sure how far they were going to commit to playing out the back under Southgate, but that's now proven to be integral to their game, which changes the debate on the goalkeepers because <sighs> Pickford has got a lot of faults. I think his technique's poor. I think some of his positioning is poor. He makes saves look harder than they should be because of his movement, uh, how he has his hand positions. Um, he makes himself look small in the goal as well, even though he's not small because he gets so low. If you watch right. when he when he's so low with his hands and his knees, um, that if you put the ball high in the in, in, in the net in the corners, he struggles. Um, but then equally, you think, oh, what a save he's pulled off there. Mm. But but mm. really, other keepers can make that look quite easy, in my opinion. Right. And I've got some real concerns with his communication, his temperament. How if he makes a mistake in the Euro in the Euros or a World Cup? How would he react? Yeah. He seems to be on teetering on the edge at all times, which is obviously good because it means he's got a bit of a bit about him and he cares and he's passionate. But that can sometimes overspill in goalkeeping, because I know firsthand because I can do the same. But um, yeah, he, he he scares me. But on the flip side. If you want to play out the back, he's the best keeper for it at England mm-hmm. at the moment because no one no one can do it as well as him. Mm-hmm. So I think just to, to summarize with Pickford, handling debatably, it's debatable, it's not great. Positioning is poor, in my opinion. Communication is a talker. Is it good talking or is it does it set out panic in the team? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You have to ask one of the centre backs around that. Um yeah. Uh, Distribution next week you've got Harry Maguire on. Yeah, I mean, scoop, (laughs) would not it? (laughs) Yeah, his distribution is obviously excellent. His shot stopping is good. It is good. He he recovers really well from these poor positions, but he's a bit of a concern. Then Nick Pope is is everything that Pickford isn't. You know, in terms of shot stopping, handling, positioning, absolutely brilliant. I love how he comes to crosses and dominates as well. And that takes you know, if you one nil up in the Euros. You know, in the, last, in the last five minutes, there's a corner and you want your keeper to come over and flap at it or, or, or you know, dominate and, mm-hmm. and take that two hands and, and take all the pressure off. You're backing Nick Pope over Pickwood in that scenario. But to my point earlier, his, his distribution is just not good enough for the way England want to play. So that's a big question, Mark, that I, I wanted to give him a chance, but he had that chance in the recent England games. I don't think he took it. Mm-hmm. There were so many times he got away with murder. Mm. With the ball at his feet, um, so that kind of made my decision up. But I don't think he can start for England,
2: and obviously Stone's made that mistake, didn't he, in terms of giving the ball away? Um, against yeah, Poland, but, but but it, it was it was sort of started by, by the fluffed left footed pass, wasn't it? From Pope. completely, completely. Um,
0: and then I, I don't think he he communicated back to say, Look, give it back to me and pop mm. it
2: off, and we'll go in another direction right, yeah.
0: either. He he's concentrating on the first pass, not if I can mm. get it back, and then where we can go. So, yeah big concern that was um, which is a shame because I love Pope he's like my 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 type of goalkeeper um, but in the modern day I think and the way we want to play I don't think he gets the call up to to start then the other two are, are I really like Sam Johnston at West mm. Brom really like him I, he's got a lot of potential but he's not going to start for England because yeah. we would know if that was going to be the case but I really like him and he he will be batting it out for third place with Uh, with Dean Henderson as well and for me if I was England manager I'd be bold and I'd start Henderson and the reason for that I think he's seven out of ten eight out of ten in every department so I don't think he's got a weakness in one of them I think he's good handling he's got good positioning he's got good technique he's a good shot stopper he seems to communicate well his distribution is good it's not as good as Pickford but it's good and it's much better than Pope's um so for me, he is one, if he can get a run, which he is getting a run now with Man U, he should be the one that was pushing Pickford, not Pope, I think. And yeah. if I was bold, um, which which Southgate obviously isn't going to be, I would start Henderson over Pickford yeah. for that reason. But, um, think, uh,
1: do you think Southgate definitely won't be bold? I mean, do you, um, do you have fears then for, uh, for Southgate uh, being uh, negative? Yeah. yeah, I think
0: he'll go safe. Like he'll rhetoric. go safe. Yeah, it'll go safe and pragmatic. He, Pickford plays better for England than he does Everton. Okay, that's a fact. Yeah. But I think people are judging Pickford with England over a few games. Whereas, you know, with Everton, you've got 38 games a season and you see the mistakes more. If England had 38 games, it'd be exactly the mm. same. I you know what I mean? I think it's... But, I, but to answer your question, Tom, yeah, he will, be, he will not be bold. He will go with Pickford. And it's not the worst decision because it, it fits his style of play and fair play to him for... Uh, for, for doing that, and I think from a distribution point of view, it makes sense. Uh, what I worry about is if Pitford makes a mistake in one of the group games, then how he reacts because mm-hmm. it could. I hated it in the was it 2004 uh, World Cup
2: when uh, I can't remember when Rob Green Rob got, Green, yeah, ma- yeah. 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 Manu- Manu- oh. USA, usa USA, yeah they changed him straight yeah. away didn't they they got rid it of him they changed him straight away and, mm, and actually tragic.
0: in that game he made a great save to keep it one one um and almost redeemed himself and he earned the right to be number one uh mm. during that season and then capello just said yeah one game off you go and that's whoever's your number one star unless something drastic happens and you are literally throwing the ball in your net roberto style then um <laughs> then you can't you can't change it you've got to stick with them so yeah, I think he'll, he'll he'll
2: he'll stick with Pickford on that basis. Yeah, I I agree. I th- I think um I would I would like to see Henderson play like you said, I think he's a he's a bit of a mixture between Pope and and Pickford in my opinion. Uh, like you said, he's he's very good in every department. Maybe not as good distribution as Pickford or good coming for crosses as Pope, but definitely a combination of the two. I think if he would if he had any chance of starting, he would have played at least some minutes uh, yeah. Yeah. in in the, in the recent course. three games. Yeah, and he gave them all to Pope, which for me was sort of a an indication that Popes is number two and possibly could start if he does really, really well. But Pickford's my favourite and he's probably going to start uh, when he's fit. Um, and I think that's what he'll go with. I don't think Southgate actually um, expected Henderson to have this run in United's team that, he, that he's having. And I think that's why he's sort of stuck with Pickford. I think if, he, if someone told him at the beginning of the season, right, Pickford's going to play every game from pretty much January to the end of the season for Man United and play very well. I think he might have Phased him in a bit earlier and started playing him in the in the earlier friendlies and earlier games for yeah. England. Um, but because he hasn't done that, I think he's almost sort of made his bed and he's picked he's chosen pick for and I think he's got to sleep sleep in it now. He's got to look um, ahead
1: as well. He has got the World Cup to think about. And you, yes, there's a case of saying play Henderson because uh, you one would assume he would become maybe United's number one in the next three years and then obviously be a shoe in for the probably at that point uh, for the England team in the World Cup. However, who knows? I mean. De Gea could come back in the squad and reclaim his position, probably he's likely to, at least in the short term. And so, yeah, can you bank on Henderson being that goalkeeper mm. for the World Cup in three years' time? Probably not.
2: Mm. Uh, yeah, like I said,
0: Henderson, Henderson. I think Henderson might be ruining his decision to, to sign a new contract mm-hmm. at Man because Chelsea were sniffing around him, weren't they, before they went for Mendy? So imagine he did go to be number one at the start of this season to a big team like like Chelsea or or even someone a little bit lower down I reckon he would have been competing for that number one spot now but he's got age on his side he's still a young guy and uh he will I think he will overtake Pickford in time but yeah um he might be ruining his decision to sign a five year bumper contract at Man U now um or he might not it might work out alright for him if he continues to replace De Gea in the from now from now on
2: I think it's interesting because Gary Neville was talking about it the other day, and he, and he was saying I would start Henderson. He was like, England number one. I would start Henderson, and then, and then they said, "What about for Man United?" And he went, "Hmm, yeah, I'm not sure." Man United first team goalkeeper is a big job, and then and and you do feel like that if you ask the Man United fan, I think they'll be like, oh, "I really like Henderson." Okay, he's going to be your number one for the next eight years. They go, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> let's see how he gets on." Sort of thing. It's not, he's not like that. He's, so, he's it's early days. He's be, yeah, exactly. It's early days, but I don't think he's, he's sort of. Made up anyone's mind that he's going to be Man United's number one, no. but the signs look good so far. To be fair, so then are the. Yeah, I mean,
0: at- I was just go- I was just going to say, um, just De Gea is a good example of when he did come into the team originally at Man U, and he he had a, a, yeah, he a rough spell. He? Yeah, yeah, he really struggled. He toughened up a little bit, got used to the league, and then progressed. So when you make a decision like that, you don't just chop and change it, but week by week, it, you either if he's your number one, if Ollie's made that decision that he's your number one, then that's you've got to give him some serious amount of time to prove that because you can't just swap goalkeepers around weekly, you get out of the rhythm and, and then you make mistakes and it's it's terrible for the team. So yeah, it looks like he's been bold with it. So we'll see. We'll see if it if he continues, he can make a late claim.
2: And unless you have no hands or no arms and you are keeper, Uh <laughs> in which case you you should be taken out of the team. <laughs>
1: Saves a good penalty with his knee though, didn't he? In Europa League.
2: Right. I was at that game, it was great, oh, yeah. against, was uh, against uh, Frankfurt, yeah, it was like straight down the middle and he's sort of like long buried it and like, like squashed the ball between wow. his knee and the ground, Yeah, it was an incredible save, it was one of the best penalty saves <laughs> I've ever seen. I actually um,
0: fully fully back his decision to not come off in the caribou cup, <laughs> be, oh, God, I yeah. would be fuming as a goalkeeper if he got taken off in, the, in, that, in, that, in that minute to... After playing the whole, whole, whole it famously game.
1: happened in the is it Euros with uh, Tim Krul, and he comes on, and then there's an yeah. yeah. unbelievable yeah. penalty yeah. saver, and they win. They, I the think if it's part sa- of
2: like a predetermined plan, I think that's fine because I think that that yeah. was wasn't it? It was like bring him on, and it was like a almost like a psych out for the other team oh, we're now yeah. bringing on our specialist our penalty penalty they are staying in. Yeah, like we'll. Um, penalty specialist, <laughs> you're bringing him on. I think it sucks out the other team. Whereas the Chelsea one just seemed like, sorry, decided. And, uh, yeah. and it was like, no, fuck that. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> that. and then we lost.
1: So they're the, uh, the, the keepers at England's disposal. Um, Nick's got a question here. Uh, one goalkeeper in world football, Matt, who'd you, uh, who you would choose for England if you could?
0: Easy answer, Jan Olblack. He is phenomenal. Um, I've got some stats actually in preparation for this. because I. It's I, still so equally. It's easy to say how good he is, right? Um, and everyone knows he's one of the world's best. But I was looking at some stats. So he's he's faced 537 shots and saved 431 of them. That's an 80 percent, um, you know, save rate, which is pretty high. You know, when you look at how that compares to others, it's incredible. And he only concedes one goal every 132 minutes, <laughs> which is equally incredible. And We all know Atletico Madrid are well-drilled. Simeone's defensive mindset and Mm they're a great defensive team, but without a good keeper, that falls apart. And he is phenomenal. He's only 28 years old as well. He he seems like he's been around for ages. He's only 28 years old. But he is the Messi of the goalkeeping world, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. So, that's how important he is to to that team and uh, hence why he's got, what, uh, I think it's 100 million buyout clause of some Mm -hmm. sort, but you know, if, if Keppel was worth eighty odd million, then God knows what he's worth.
2: Well, but yeah. You, you joke, Hagee. Um when Chelsea bought Kepa, Kepa's buyout clause was seventy one million and Oblax was eighty million. And Ugh. the club the club said no, it's a bit bit it's a stretch too far, the extra Ugh. nine million. So uh so we went with Kepa. <laughs> <laughs> that bad decision, mate. a
0: terrible yeah. decision.
2: Oh, he's never made that call He needs to be sacked. I'd love to see him
0: in the Premier League though, because then, then I think it would get the attention it deserves. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Allison. No one really knew too much about Allison before he comes to the Premier League. We, we're quite um, not arrogant. What's the word? We just blinkered to how good. Out of some sight, out of are. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah it it completely, particularly with goalkeepers, completely. It, it
2: tends to be like yeah. I don't know. Over the last like, couple of decades, there's been sort of a couple of big name goalkeepers. Like you had sort of uh, Oliver Kahn years ago, and then it was um, Neuer. Casillas, Valdez, and he had these keepers. And like, and, and yeah, they were very good at, at, certain, at certain points, but it was definitely like those names were highlighted, no one else. So like, it was a good keeper yeah. for, say, like Valencia. You never would have known about it, really. Um,
1: Buffon's probably yeah. on that list, isn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. He's got to chuck
1: it in there. Mm. Um, so we'll round off um, the Wonder Kid goalkeeper, Matt Hayes, goalkeeper review with a, a, a debate. Um, this one is about keepers coming off their line during penalties and that being penalised by VAR. I guess the question is, is that right or is it wrong? Who wants to go first?
0: I, I'm going to go first on this one <laughs> because I, I absolutely hated this rule when it come when it first came in because I, I let me try and explain it, mm-hmm. right? The odds are stacked in favour of the, the penalty shooter scoring right that it they should be scoring nine times out of ten and nick's called me up on this before and right rightly so it should be stacked in their favor which is a fair point because they've been disadvantaged if it's sort of a you know a chance of going and been brought down so i kind of get that but it is so difficult to try and time a dive by you know if you're trying to anticipate where they're going and they're stuttering in there their run up or or even if they're not stuttering in their run up to get the momentum to dive in one direction is so difficult um, to do without going forward or taking a step forward. It's just natural instinct. Similar to like when you jump for a ball and you put your arm up, it's the same motion for a goalkeeper to take that initial plant your feet and then you make a step forward to make that decision on whether to go left, right, or or, like no one does stay down the middle um, on a penalty. So I think it's really harsh, really, really harsh to penalise goalkeepers if their now is off the line. Um, so I think that's really, really, really harsh. And I hate the rule because you make a world-class save from the penalty. But that moment for a goalkeeper, I can't tell how how, the, how good that feeling is. It's probably only equivalent is obviously scoring a goal if you're, yeah. a, if you're an outfield player. Giles. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember
2: that. Right,
0: explain but yourself. What, um, is, uh, this this yeah. goes back some years, Tom. This is a a, a guy who played for us at Billericay He decided to, that he thought he was better than, than us, which was impossible at the time. We were the best in Essex. And uh, he, he decided to leave, go to a rival team. He'd come back. And I think they had like, a penalty in the last minute. Um, Giles steps up to take it. Everyone's sort of... Yeah, you know, give him a bit of a bit of verbals or whatever. Sure. And then he absolutely creams one. To be honest with you, smacks it Um bottom right, and I have pulled off one of the best penalty saves I've ever, ever pulled, and we all went crazy. And then he walked off the pitch, didn't talk to anyone. Last yeah. minute, I think we it's to win, Nick, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. I, think, it was, I, think
2: we, I think it was two one. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. Um, and but that, but I could have been.
0: A centimeter off my line and that would have been disallowed in, mm. in this day and age mm. so look my take on it is i understand why why the rules there uh, but i think there should be a margin of error because um it's really really difficult to time that and and to get to get it to get it right if you if, if you dive into so similar if it's the magic spray or if it's what they do with the var or whatever i'll put the lines down yeah i'm not ta- i'm talking like Five centimeters or 10 centimeters to allow allow you that initial step forward because mm. it's so so difficult to, to save otherwise and some keepers are mastering it now but it's like you are literally learning a different skill um and yeah, you're yeah, allowed you you're
2: changes, didn't they you like you're now allowed one foot off the line as long as the other foot's yeah. on the line so some so keepers are sort of doing this technique where they they step forward and sort of dive off of one leg with the other leg still yeah. on the line, sort of thing. Don't yeah, they? but it it's limits, just bullshit, it isn't
1: it? What's, what is that like? Mm. This is, this is now this like strange technique that's being like conjured because of this stupid rule that they've imposed? Like after 100 years of the game.
0: Yeah,
1: so,
2: what's exactly. Going on? So I mean, so, God, go Hager, you finish off and I'll come in. I was just going
0: to say if you look back on some of the penalty shootouts that we all um, remember vividly. Champions League, Dudek, doing all of these dancing moves and coming off his line a little bit and making penalty saves. I even pulled up P- Peter Cech in, um, I think it was Munich, one of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah against Munich. Right. And and he he would have been pulled up for coming off his line. And there's, there's so many big occasions where keepers have made huge saves that would have been pulled up and then, you know, retaken. And it's basically retake it until you score. Because trying to change that technique mid-game is impossible, you know? You don't, okay. you don't just, you don't just learn how to, how to change that mid game. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I just think looking back over time, there'd be so many penalties. It would be disallowed now for what, but I completely understand if you're five yards, you're walking off your line <laughs> and making the goal smaller, then yeah. absolutely it should be disallowed, like disallowed and retaken. But nine times out of 10, we're talking about centimeters here. So sorry, Nick, that was, that was my final point. Well,
2: no, Nick has so. an opposing view, is that right? um yeah i mean i've i've played sort a of bit of devil's advocate before on this and sure. and i'll go through each of the points i suppose the first one i completely agree on um stuttered run-ups should be stopped uh like the Jorginho or fernandez sort of technique where they do the hop and and even when they stop and start i don't i don't agree with that because like you said it is impossible uh and i think that's sort of it's deception i don't think it should be allowed. um Although I do, I do agree that the penalty odds should be stacked in the striker's favour because that's the reason for the penalty, right? Sure. Um, yeah. In terms of the, the issue of them coming off their lines, I, so I don't actually have a problem with it in terms of it's a harsh rule. It's a harsh rule if someone's a centimetre off their line that, that they're, that, that they're penalised. It's also a harsh rule if someone's a centimetre offside and they're penalised. So it's sort of hand in hand, I suppose. I think, I think the, the tricky thing is that we've got VAR now. We've brought that in. And goal line technology is one thing where we can measure it to the literal millimetre offside, have debates around the, the, the accuracy of the technology, but they measure it to the millimetre. So this goal line thing is something where a camera can be there and they can literally measure it to the millimetre. So they will do because it's, it's very objective. They're either off the line or they're on the line. Doesn't make it right. No, I'm not saying it does, but so that they can measure that. So they are going to measure that. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. My issue with it, and I don't have a problem with saying like, well, it's so so close. It's not even made a difference. It's still it's still a legitimate save. No goal. The problem I have is I can't find a better solution. I can't think of one. I haven't heard one. Like you mentioned, using the spray for margin of error and stuff. But then what if they're three centimeters over the margin of error? Sure, you're what just moving one... it down. Just mo- yeah, yeah. Uh, people people have said about the offsides. Like have have a ten cm ten centimeter margin for offsides, but. What if you're 10.1 centimetres offside? And I still have that same thing with the off the line mm. and the keeper's come out. I can't think of a, of a really good solution other than something like the keeper can come off the line as much as he wants, but he can only start coming off the line when the players started their run-up. And then they're just fucking charging at each other. I'm about to say it's a race. <laughs> yeah. and, and, then, and then and then it forces the players to have to have like a two-step run-up. I do I do think though with penalties, I, I want, my idea actually is is to stick stick with the the goal-line rule. You're not allowed off your goal the goal line at all. However, the attacker has to have a one-step or a two-step penalty, because then mm-hmm. it, then it basically negates any need to come off the line because they know when you know when they're shooting, um, you you know that it's a short run-up, so there's none of this like jumping around and, and um, stuttering the run-ups. Mm. And I think it makes it slightly harder on the attacker, but then it like pushes the odds in the favour of the goalkeeper, maybe. So, I don't know. I, yeah. I, 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 just, I just struggle with an alternative rule on it. And and I, I, I do agree with you, Matt, in, in that um, the alternative is to go back to how it was. And I agree with that. But, but not... did
0: anyone have an issue with how it was? With the... Well, no, exactly. Well, that's my, that's my that's
2: point. point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no one... No,
0: no one ever wrote back pages around the keeper was oh, a yeah. yard off his line yeah. that saved the penalty and it didn't yep. need tampering with. So the one the one bit I'd counteract to, to Nick's point and, and so we've we've talked about before is you don't see this scrutiny over a free kick, right? If the ball cans into a, a wall and they're mm. nine yards rather than ten yards, mm. the game goes on because it's up to the ref to sort of own that decision. Mm. So you know, like the magic spray works for there. Why can't that work for a goalkeeper? But I, I, I do, I do hear that if, if, if you are using technology, it has to be used to the nth degree. But I think everyone would accept if you had a magic spray or a, a two-yard line that's on on there, and you are over it, then it's like, well, you've had your margin for error. Now there is no margin, so you are you you are absolutely in the wrong there. You've moved too far forward, and I think every goalkeeper could could understand that and take that. It's just yeah centimeters off your actual line because if you go any if you go any further back in your goal you make the goal even bigger and mm. it's even harder to save a ball then um mm. the way that, that professionals hit the ball this day and age it's, it's mm. actually you know really stacked against you but yeah i, I to tom i think you nailed it there was never an issue for why create one mm. uh,
2: I, 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 send I do, that, I do on, sorry you on Nick. I I do, I do completely agree. I, I think they've, but the the issue has been made now. So what, what the the question is, what can you do about it? And I think the only thing they can do about it, because they've essentially made their bed with VAR and measuring the lines, is, is essentially just to stick with what they have got. And it's going to be really unfair uh, yeah. for the goalkeepers. But I can't see any other alternative really. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, we've got. I think the the issue is 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 what they've done with technology and mm. how they're using it. Um, We've got the, we've got these these rules of coming off a millimetre of your line, a millimetre offside um, and things like that. And I just don't, yeah, I don't think it's... Um, this this will it's become a
0: huge thing in the coming months. And I'll tell you why. Because we're going into a tournament that mm. will have penalty shootouts in there. Mm. And you wait until that moment comes. Mm. And, you know, you imagine Pickford. this... Yeah, t- oh, you imagine it, right? Against Colombia Columbia when we're all celebrating. You can't yep. celebrate because you've got to wait until... The, the the check has been made. Who's the uh, Scottish online.
1: goalkeeper? The Scot who who say, saves to get Great Scotland into Euros. He looks at the
0: the, the referee yeah. and says, "Is it? Is it okay?" And it ruins that moment, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and and this is this is my point. I think you know when we get to the Euros, you're going to see this rule. What like people are going to really make a, a a big song and dance with it yeah. off the back of some horrific decisions that we'll see.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, no, I, I agree. So we're taking the, the emotion, the immediate emotion, out of the game with everything. You can't it, celebrate it's anymore. A goalkeeper save, whether it's a, a goal, whether it's uh, a, 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 not a like, penalty not being given and later being given, is sort of the, the natural flow of the game is being being completely ruined. But we're too far gone.
1: Yep. Um, and on that note, too far gone. We are an hour and 19 so minutes in. <laughs> Next up is the <laughs> listeners' questions.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, England will be
1: playing 4-4-2. For, for, okay, so we've got a couple of questions this week. Um, uh, firstly, it's Paolo Di Canrio at Rio Hoy asking uh, Nick, why did Beckham Owen Ferdinand never win anything? I assume he means for England and also yeah. we could extend that to the entire golden generation.
2: Yeah. Um, I, they've talked about that actually quite a lot when they've been pundits and stuff. I, I think... Um, I would say probably three reasons I'll break it down to. One, a little bit uh, unlucky, actually. Um, I think we went out to Portugal in two tournaments on penalties. Um, we probably would have gone through and maybe won the tournament. Had 04. 04 yeah, is the one. 04, if, if Rooney hadn't got injured. Um, and in 06, it wasn't it, uh, the, the other penalty shootout. Sure. Um, uh, it's fine margin. So I think, I think if we win those games, to sort of build confidence and go into the latter stages and... and if if, they, if that team gets to a semi final, I don't think anyone's anyone's sort of saying they they're completely underachieved in a World Cup. Sure. Um, uh, so I think a little, a little bit unlucky. I think um, we've always had this problem, and I think this is where actually Southgate will be will do quite well in that. We've always tried to pigeonhole the best eleven players on paper into onto the pitch, mm. without really thinking about is that the best eleven in that shape, or, or should should someone else come in. Instead to play in a team who maybe isn't as quite gifted or or a big name, but actually it worked better as a system. Um, like I mean, you throw loads of examples, but Skulls and Gerrard both playing on the left when clearly they were centre midfielders is is a clear uh, issue there. Um, so I think I think that that issue has is, has is, is, is not helped in the past uh, mm-hmm. when we had that golden generation, um, and it might have taken a brave manager to try and drop one of them really uh, and say, well, I, I can't play you, I can't play all of you in here, so I'm going to have to play a hargreaves i'm gonna have to play as gareth barry at times in a, in a three midfield to, to to protect against that and i think it sort of happened later on but by that point it was too late the golden generation sort of stopped by then, uh, or, or passed their best by then. um yeah. and then and then the last one i uh, i think is quite important is sort of team chemistry and club rivalry i was going to say i think like when you think of lampard terry actually carl rio rooney uh, gerard Carragher, they they've all talked about it in the sense that they would go to England and they'd be fine. They'd be civil, but they never wanted to even get to know each other on a personal level or talk on a personal level because they thought that would somehow give a weakness to to Chelsea or to Man United or Liverpool at the time. And um, yeah, I don't think that helped. I think nowadays the England, the England setup's is different in that all the youth players seem to sort of know each other somehow yeah. um, and know each other and come through and they're all very good mates. And when they join up yeah. for England, it seems like they're having the best time ever. Being in I the think, england squad i
1: think they're part of the england setup as a youth uh yeah yeah I, I yeah, yeah that's probably yeah. why they have those yeah. kind of like in, yeah it, it wasn't the
2: same was it yeah um so i think that's a huge issue that happened in the past and now like i said it looks like they, they're almost joining up with their best mates and and at times you probably think when you look at sort of the under 21s or, or even the youngsters in the england squad you probably think they're having a better time with england than they are with their clubs because it's sort of everyone's on the same wavelength for playing FIFA, playing all sorts sure. of games and stuff. So uh, inviting 18 women round to the houses, you know. Who uh, wouldn't? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think those are the three reasons, um, which is why I do think those, those second 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 two reasons, I think it's why everyone's quite happy with what's happening at the moment under Southgate. And I think he, he, he's conscious that he doesn't want to put, ch- chuckle these players on the pitch. I think he's conscious about a system and having the right balance, which is why maybe he's gone with two in midfield in the lo- or two, sort of defensive midfielders in a lot of these games and things like that. I think he's, he's thinking about the, the, the system rather than just sticking 11 on the pitch. Uh, and like I said, the, 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 team spirit seems to be a lot better than it used to be.
1: Absolutely. Um, another question, uh, this time from your brother, Christopher uh, at Christopher underscore a underscore I asks, loving Alison Pablo Escobar forward slash Freddie Mercury inspired moustache, um, name some of your most iconic footballer hairstyles for good and for bad. Have you planned this one?
2: No, I, I didn't even see this question come in. But obviously, the one you've got to talk about is Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, the yeah. like the, the wedge at the front of his head. I think sure. that's I like, yeah. have to talk about that one. Um, <laughs> One, it's probably not a favourable shot, but um, Romania, I think it was in uh, I know Cup, who you mean. Uh, 98, it... maybe, or 2000. It's like a blonde afro. Well, no, no, I'm talking about the whole team. They all died oh, their hair blonde, didn't they? 98, they did this. Ninety no, yeah. no, yeah, yeah. eight, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think you're thinking of the Columbia guy, the blonde, the gaffer. Right? Oh, yeah,
1: I'm thinking, I'm seeing yeah. a yellow international jersey. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. what my brain has done um, there.
2: So yeah, as, as a whole team having the same sort of hairstyle, I think that sort of st- stood out to me. Um, yeah, oh, anyone else? Anyone else? There was a there
0: was an era, wasn't there, of like these horrendous highlighted haircuts in the Premier League. I remember like the likes of Freddie Lundberg having a red highlight in his hair and then oh, yeah. other people. You know jj was it, uh, not jj cocha but there was like bolton players and they had like dots of yeah. like, I, I think nick you've white. sported that
2: hair, that haircut from uh before i remember well, you going for a blonded a blonde dotted phase i did have i did have um, some hit, tinted uh, tips yeah yeah i think that's the word um didn't yeah, go down well. i haven't really. changed my hairstyle since so no lego uh, hair from the yeah. very beginning
1: yeah. uh okay um should refs be punished for making a mistake
2: who's that by nick uh, Alex Lithua, Um there you go. Alex. Um, no, I don't think there should be. I think refs should be accountable for mistakes, and um, to an extent, sort of a, uh, maybe a grading system whereby like they, well, obviously like it is at the moment, where they get the they get the best matches because they're considered the best referees in the country and things like that, and they get sent to Champions League competitions and World Cups because they're deemed the best uh, referees in the country. I think that's that's fine in terms of sort of like yeah, punishing referees. I, we've talked about VAI quite a lot and referee decisions quite a lot sure. and, and it's a, it's a quite an easy thing to do. I, I do think sort of like referee discourse in general about getting a decision wrong is it's a little bit tedious in the sense that like it gets highlighted so much, but yet your defender can give the ball away and it, and it costs a goal and then actually there would be like less, less sort of ramifications on the back page as a result yeah. of that defender making a mistake. So I do think we've got to think, well, it's actually a really tough job. Um, funny enough, Sunday league football for you. Uh, so I've I, I managed and I've tried to manage our Sunday league football team uh, and last weekend I got a text from the referee at 9.30 in the morning saying I'm sorry I've got an eye infection I can't make it and no referee could, could make it so I, I ended up reffing the game or refing half the game um, sharing with the opposition and it, it is a tough job uh, I mean I, of course I did an absolutely amazing job but I actually got I got one vote for man of the match to be fair so um, but it, it's a really tough job and they are humans at the end of the day they're not actually paid that much money in comparison to footballers we've talked about this in the past on the pod so i don't think they should get punished for making mistakes i think the mistakes should be highlighted as they are for any other footballer um who makes a mistake in a game and you go well that 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 person cocked up there should have done better we go again sort of thing um i do i do think it's an easy target and is and sort of is a little bit tedious at times uh, but that's because of the amount of money that's online the right don't you
0: think uh, though it- it's a simple solution, and it's just communication. It's not about... It's like accountability with communication of your decision, whether it's right or wrong. Understanding why that decision has been made um, doesn't have to necessarily always be a, a post-match interview by that that referee. They so haven't had time to do that. But I think just communication of why they come to the big decisions and not, and people could then at least accept why and go, OK, I can see why. Well, everyone else, Then you get everyone on the... On the TV and pundits giving their opinion on it, mm. and it just creates this circus where if they just communicate a bit more, um you know, strongly and 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 just communicate their decision making, I think people would maybe accept it a little bit more. Empathise sides of them, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I think exactly. like a hands
2: up approach. Like oh, I thought I saw this, or I thought yeah, this it's... at the time, and and it was wrong. I mean, that, that we've talked about. We had a question before about should interviews be given by referees after the game, and we sort of end up with a no because. You're basically going to get these referees who sort of want to be in the limelight even more, Might like, Dean. you know, like a deans of the world, yeah. But but I do think in terms of communication of, of decisions that that would be a, a positive step forward. And I mean, I, we didn't mention it earlier on, but did you see the high foot in the in the Newcastle Burnley match where they didn't give a penalty? So the ball yeah. keeper made a save. It went up in the air, and a Newcastle player who was now a Newcastle player came in to try and head the ball into into the net, and the Burnley defender put put his foot up, like, volleyed the ball away. He did get the he did hit the ball, uh, but his his foot was like right up head height with the Newcastle player. And it, like any other area of the pitch is a Sandung free kick. It should be a penalty for higher foot. Um, and they didn't give it. And then and then um, PGMOL came out afterwards and, and said, "Oh, the justification was because he won the ball and the defender stooped." And it, it was complete bollocks. Like he didn't. Mm. The defender didn't. It wasn't a low. It wasn't a low head. It was a high foot. Sure. Um, uh, so they, they were like retrofitting this, this justification. Okay, and, <laughs> and, I, and I completely disagree with that. And I and I, go, I agree with you, Hagee. I think that like coming out and just saying that at the time I thought this, not not really sure now, but it's one of those things, isn't it? And, and sort of everyone was slightly empathised, as you said, Tom. I think hmm. VAR takes that away. Because they've then got to justify a decision that they've seen as much as all the pundits and all the fans watching which makes that quite difficult to say but then the oh, retrofitting's
1: even worse then isn't it because exactly, it's yeah, like you're, yeah. it's kind of sorting the wounds isn't it to the bad yeah. error
2: yeah yeah indeed
1: Ugh. final question uh, then of the episode uh, from stephen willett at stephen underscore willett who asks i've got over it i've got over it a bit now i think he says uh, but that decision on jude bellingham's goal last night was truly shocking what are some of the most shocking decisions by a referee in football history that come to mind?
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the, the Bellingham decision against Man City. We've just, we've just, I've just sort of sit, sat here and, uh, and trying to defend referees to, for being human. Um, but, I mean, that decision was absolutely ludicrous. One thing I would say on that, actually, on that particular decision, I wasn't going to say this, but hmm. um, so the referee, was Romanian, right? And I think right. the biggest error he made wasn't giving the foul. I think, I think he might have thought that was a high foot or a, or a foul, um, but the biggest mistake he made was blowing the whistle before letting yes. him put the ball in there, right? hundred percent. And the reason I say the referee was Romanian is because guess, guess which league Uh-oh. doesn't have VAR? Let the Romanian guess. league.
1: Really? Why is he, yeah. why is he reffing cha- champions league? Absolutely. Matches? And I can guarantee
2: you that guy, the referee, he blew his whistle and then thought, fuck, we've got VAR. I yep. shouldn't let that go into the net. Yep. And that's the biggest mistake he made. And it, it well, champions league quarter final. It's horrendous, and, and they haven't got a referee who uh, is used to refereeing with VAR. I'm, I'm not. Being, I'm not being funny, but he he would have ma- refereed a maximum of six group six group games plus two knockout games, right? So eight games he's refereed using VAR in total, and they're and they're putting him on a Champions League stage it's quarterfinal to referee a VAR match. It's, it's it's ludicrous. So for me, it was a it was a crap mistake, but. But that, I think that was purely instinct, instinctive for him to blow the whistle, and then afterwards probably thought, "Oh, fucking hell, I shouldn't have done yeah. that." Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was on that. But um, and your
1: greatest mistake of all time?
2: Yes, yeah, oh, I've got three. Um, one is uh, Reading the Reading ghost goal, which I don't know if you remember. So um, Reading were playing, and I think it was in the Championship at the time. And um, someone had a shot, and it it went wide, mm-hmm. right? about about three foot wide. Uh, but but a defender was sort of standing uh, on off the pitch where the ball went off. So And the defender cleared it. So I'm trying to explain it. But someone had a shot, went two feet wide at the right post. Defender was standing there. Defender sort of booted it back into play. But the ball went over the byline by about a few inches. Yeah. And the linesman flagged, right? And then the referee gives a goal. Yes. The ball was never anywhere near the goal. It went wide. And and the is looking so closely at the line, he's just thinking, did the ball cross the line? And the referee's not thought about it and given a goal. Honestly, I'm not doing it justice. No, I know exactly what you mean. When the ball
1: it, goes it. over the line and it's not given, it's one thing. But if it, if, it if it's nowhere near the goal oh, mouth mate. and then they, they give a goal, that's yeah. uh, that takes it to a whole new yeah. level,
2: doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So Steve, on that question, definitely uh, YouTube that one. I've got to mention Graham Pole giving three yellows to the same person in the World Cup. In the World Cup uh, well. and then Great getting stage. And then getting sent home uh, from the World Cup. He didn't ref another game in that tournament. So sure. I think uh, you've got to mention that just from like a personal um, sl- yeah guttedness for Graham Pole. is not a word but no it's um, not I like it though uh, and the last one for me just just for pure pettiness and this, this just sums up a lot of refs in that power trip okay. is um, uh, referee drops his yellow card Gascoigne picks it up shows the ref a yellow oh. card for dropping his yellow card yep the ref then books Gascoigne <laughs> for doing that <laughs> I mean power trip in it. You cannot get more power trippy than that as a referee. I mean I I don't like to bash them but but at times they can act like a like a, a nightclub bouncer. Um they uh yeah really really did uh i think that one's the worst of all just for pure pettiness for me, was, that so. a, was that a
1: european ref or was it in the, in the no
2: no, no no it's, it's england yeah oh, i was gonna say because kind of so,
1: sometimes in europe the european refs are very quick to run over and like really passionately book a player as if they're like mm. they're not on the same wavelength but yeah. i don't know if that's an english ref then it's an old it's an old ref though isn't it it's a, it's a very obviously it's when gascoigne was playing so maybe time yeah, yeah, yeah 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 as i always do i like to end it with my final word and that's to please subscribe to our podcast feed whether that's on spotify apple podcast Acast, or google podcast leave a five-star review please keep them coming in they really help share us to your friends on social media follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at the wembley way and remember to check out our website for previous episodes and the latest england squad power rankings at thewembleyway.com that's it that's the end of the episode i've been tom i've been nick i've been matt brilliant And we've been the Wembley way. Good night. Yeah. Yeah.